Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. One in the books, kicking off hour two, taking you up to six o'clock here on the Bald Face Truth of the BFT Radio Network, wherever you may be listening. Thanks for tuning in on this fine Wednesday, July the 12th, day after the MLB All-Star Game. And mentally, I'm starting to turn the pace toward football season. I know it's foolish. I know it's rushed. I know I'm going to uh, exhaust myself with all my football takes by the beginning of August and then still have to wait a month, but I'm doing it anyway. I can't help myself. And I'm also bringing in some enablers along the way. Our next guest is the uh, staff writer on the national news desk for 247 Sports. He's gone national after covering the Beavers uh, for Beaver Blitz previously. He is Carter Baines joining us to talk a little college football here on the Bald Face Truth and some Beaver takes along the way. It's great to talk to you, Carter. How are you on this uh, 12th of July? I'm doing well. Today was uh, the first day of Big 12 media days, so uh, we're getting close to that time of year where you actually have real football to talk about, uh, which is always nice because we know this, you know, the off season can get kind of dry, but um, big time of year, big time of year for sure. Yeah, I saw Brett Yormark doing his thing, you know, uh, beating his chest a little bit, but he, hey, he speaks well. He speaks well, and, uh, you know, it's cool to see the Big 12 out there first with their media days. I'm curious from your vantage point, because you spent a few years, obviously, covering Oregon State, you know, predominantly. What's your role like now at 247, taking a more, you know, national role? What's what's your day-to-day like and, and your overall focus, and how has that been different from just, you know, covering one program? Yeah, it's been fun to kind of uh, branch out a little bit, you know. Obviously, here on the Pac-12 side of things, uh exciting year big quarterback season on the west coast and everything but um you know it's the the sec's mantra it just means more that that there's some truth to it uh so it's it's been fun to you know to kind of branch out cover some of the bigger markets um obviously still want to represent oregon state and the west coast and um you know doing what i can to you know to promote west coast football uh on on the national landscape but uh there are some pretty amazing storylines uh, throughout college football this year, it's been fun to dive into some of that a little bit more. Um, but obviously, I mean, I'm I'm going to be fully tuned into this Oregon State football season. I'm going to be watching USC and UCLA, you know, intrigued how they perform in their final year in the Pac-12. Um, but it's going to be fun to, to, to tune into some Alabama games, and some Tennessee games, and, you know, watch Georgia a little bit closer this year. So I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about it. Yeah, that'll be uh that sounds like a lot of fun. Um what what is the biggest thing and maybe I'll I'll regret talking about this with you, but what is the biggest challenge you think for getting that West Coast football respect with uh some of the other national peers out there that you mentioned? Well, it doesn't help that the Pac-12, you know, frankly continues to shoot itself in the foot. Um <laughs> like I said, you know, I feel I, like I regret bringing it up, bringing it up. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how long we can go without a media rights deal before, you know, the Pac-12 loses even more credibility on the national stage. And it is unfortunate because I do think that some of the best college football in the country is going to be played on this coast this year. You know, I mentioned the quarterbacks. The Pac-12 also has the uh, the highest average ranking 
uh, among a lot of the preseason polls. So, you know, your quality of play out here is actually going to be fantastic. Um, it, it's just a shame that, you know, the Pac-12 as a whole is going to be changing going into next year. You know, you're going to lose your biggest market. Um, you know, who knows what's going to happen media rights wise, uh, you know, does the conference remain intact at 10? Does it add uh, new members? You know, I think there's a lot of fatigue nationally with, with the PAC 12 storylines. And, and frankly, those outside of the PAC 12 footprint have kind of tuned out, which uh, again, is just unfortunate because I think they're really going to miss out uh, on a pretty entertaining season. Yeah, it is going to be an entertaining season. Um, Last year of USC UCLA in the Pac-12, maybe we start with that. Good for the conference, or bad for the conference, or neutral for the conference, if one of those two teams ends up winning the conference title at the end of the year. Man, that's a great question. I think Brett Yormark was actually asked something similar at Big 12 media days with you know their their whole situation with Texas and Oklahoma leaving. Um, to be honest with you, that's it's not really a perspective that I've thought much about. I, I think as long as those two programs are in your conference, you have to capitalize on their visibility, right? I mean, USC winning the Pac-12 gets Pac-12 teams on TVs nationally. Um, it, it gets the Pac-12 in debates nationally. And so I think, uh, you know, having those teams win as many games as possible in your league while they're here is is always a good thing. But I mean, there is certainly an element of wanting to boost the profile and boost the stock of those teams and those programs and universities that are going to be coming back next year as well. So, um, you know, I think the fans of those schools who are coming back, the, the Oregons and the Oregon states of the world, um, you know, obviously they have, they have a bone to pick with, with USC and UCLA, and they're going to be rooting hard against them. But um, from a conference perspective, I, I don't see much wrong with, you know, with Caleb Williams making another run to the Heisman Trophy, USC – uh, making a college football playoff run. I think that's only good for the conference as long as they're here. Carter Baines, 247 Sports, joining us on the show. Uh, from an Oregon State standpoint, you know, I'm kicking around this this take, Carter, and I'm curious what you think, that if you had to boil down the Beavers' season to one most important figure, I think a lot of people would, would say DJ Uyunglele, and I, I totally understand that. But I would say that it's Trent Bray, and I would say that for the reason of plenty of defensive turnover in the secondary, losing a key linebacker in Omar Spates, having to come up with some sort of pass rush to to uh, slow down this bevy of, of talent in Pac-12 quarterback circles. And also, you know, with, with DJ, I don't want him playing with – two score deficits or, you know, being down by a touchdown, being down by 10 points. I feel like DJ's, you know, best attributes probably would shine when the game script is in his favor rather than him having to play from behind. And I'm not entirely sure, Carter, if this Beaver defense is going to be able to just simply go out there and replicate the kind of success that they had a season ago where they were able to get into those positive game scripts basically every single week. Uh, so from that standpoint, I think Trent Bray has got the most on his plate and the most to prove this year as a defensive coordinator with, with a bunch of moving parts in the back end of his defense rather than DJ Uyunglele. Now, I could be talked off that, and it's kind of a sneaky hot take, but what do you think of that overall comparison? No, I think you're exactly spot on there, to be honest. Um, you know, look, regardless of of what DJ Uyunglele brings, to this offense. I, I think the offense will be improved 
this season. I, I mean, the floor for DJ is is much higher than what you had in the past. I, I think the running game is going to be solid. That offensive line remains one of the best in the country. You know, the wide receiver group will be solid again. I, I don't think there are many questions on the offensive side, and it's it's kind of funny how the narrative changes. Many years, Oregon State was an offense first team that couldn't stop anyone. Last year, they're a defense first team that struggled to put points on the board, and now it's kind of flipped back in the other direction if the defense is as good as it was last year man who knows how good Oregon State can be because that offense is probably taking a step forward no matter what Um, you know even if if DJ struggles this year I I think you're still going to get more out of him than you got from the quarterback position last year Um, so you can almost bank on scoring a, a substantial amount of more points this year if you hold teams to you know low 20s scoring I think you're going to win just about every single time you step on the field, um, which is I, I mean, it's pretty remarkable to, 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 to say about Oregon State. Where they're, they're in a position where they all they have to do is be as good as they were last year, uh, and they're going to be in a conference title race. So I think I think you nailed it uh, with with that comparison there, um, saying that Trent Bray is, is maybe one of the more important figures. You know, can he replicate what he did last year, or was it just a product of having a ton of veterans on his defense? going to try to ask this with semi of a straight face. DJ's going to win the job, right? I mean, I would I would presume so. Like, <laughs> you know, obviously Jonathan Smith and, and Brian Lindgren aren't going to come out and name a starter probably until week one. Uh, that's kind of been their, their MO, you know, wait until the season opener, uh, wait until that Monday or even game day to, to name the guy. But look, I mean... I, I think there's something to be said for Bengal Branson coming back with winning experience and, you know, having knowledge of the system and whatnot. And obviously Aiden Childs having a ceiling that, that might be higher than anyone in the room. Uh, but you got to go with the guy who is a, a former five-star recruit. And, and look, I mean, the production that he, that he produced at Clemson, yeah, it might not have lived up to Clemson standards, but if that's on Oregon state's roster last year, I mean, Oregon state's probably in the PAC 12 title game. So, um, you know, I, I haven't seen anything from DJ to suggest that he's not going to win the job. You know, he looked fine in spring camp. I think, uh, obviously, he just needed more time to, to gel with the receivers to lock down some timing issues. But, um, no, I mean, he a, a guy like DJ Uyunglele does not come into Oregon State into this situation um, without a fairly certain idea that he's going to win the job. Carter Baines joining us, 247 Sports. The betting line on that opener with San Jose State is like Beavers minus 16 and a half, minus 17. At least that's what it was when it, when it opened. And I don't know, man, like <laughs> they should win, but that, that tells me that there's some really positive national perception around what Jonathan Smith is, is building at Oregon state. Um, do you expect this season to be one? And let's just focus on the offensive side of the ball. Since we're talking DJ where there's going to be, it's a bit of a slow start, and they build momentum, or with a fall camp underneath him, given that he's got spring camp behind him already, and he's he's building that chemistry with receivers, is there a version of this where, hey, the Beaver offense, it's got a great offensive line, it's got a great, great running game, not a ton will be asked of, of DJU. It could be gangbusters right out of the gate, and they could be you know ranked in the top 15, maybe top 10 in the country just a few weeks in. 
Yeah, I think the situation is a little more conducive to a hot start than, uh, you know, maybe breaking in a, a new starter who's been in your system. And it's it's kind of interesting because obviously DJ's only been here for, for six months, but um, this is a guy who did his research on the Oregon State playbook before he even committed to Oregon State. I mean, you know, his knowledge of the system was uh, was the primary reason why he even contacted the Beavers uh, from what he said uh, during the spring. And so, you know, he already knows the kind of system he's getting into. He's been learning the playbook since he got here day one in, in January. Um, a, a quick learner, a guy who has five-star skills, I, I don't think it's going to take him much time to get rolling. I, I think once you give him another month of practice, um, you know, you're going to see him really tap into that potential. Obviously, you don't know. You know, there's no guarantee of that. Um, but I think if there's a guy who's capable of taking the reins right away and, and getting things firing pretty quickly, it's a, a former four-star or a former five-star guy who's who's very intelligent as well. I just think about what the Beaver's ceiling could be if DJ is completely unlocked. And I get excited to think about it, man. As someone that roots for both teams in this state, like, I don't know. I think Oregon State's got a pretty high ceiling, like sniffing sniffing Vegas, maybe sniffing the, the college football playoff if DJU is the kind of DJU that he was thought to be coming out of high school. And, and if that ceiling is attainable under this offense with this scheme, it could be a special year in, in Corvallis. And it's fair to, you know, hypothesize these best-case scenarios because, you know, obviously I think last year was somewhat of a best-case scenario for for Oregon State. You know, they, they made things happen. But at the same time, you know, Oregon State fans, I think, to an extent, do need to temper their expectations a bit. You know, we, we mentioned the questions on the defensive side. There's a real chance that Oregon State regresses significantly on that side. And what if DJ doesn't turn the offense into a juggernaut? You know, these are not guarantees. Uh, there's a reason that Oregon State uh, is coming off of its third 10-win season of all time. You know, Oregon State's not a program that traditionally sustains success. Um, this is the next step for Jonathan Smith, is proving that you can repeat as a Pac-12 contender year after year. Um, and until he proves it, you can't expect it. So, um, you know, I, I think... Oregon State could win eight or nine games, and in some ways it would still be considered a success. But if you go into the year with expectations of winning 10, 11 games and competing for a Pac-12 title, um, you know, you may be setting yourself up for a little bit of disappointment. But I do think that that, that is a very realistic outcome for this team, uh, particularly given the, the, you know, the schedule. I think it lines up well, um, the, the veteran presence on the offensive side. Um, there are a lot of factors playing uh, in, in their favor. But again, you, you got to temper expectations a little bit until they prove that they can win 10 games back to back for the first time in program history. 10 wins is hard, man. You know, it's, it's, it's a hard thing to do in college football, especially if you're not, you know, an annual blue blood. I, I totally agree with you because 10 wins is like one of the most sexy things to say about your program. It's going to be the first lead on every story written about your program in the F off season. Beavers coming off a 10 win season, 10 win season. Can they do it again? And it's almost like, man, let's not forget, like, we got really fortunate to win at Stanford, you know, in those circumstances. Um, could have won the USC game, I guess. I, I would grant you that as well. But fortunate to be able to beat the Ducks after being down by that margin and simply running the football with a quarterback that completed six passes and threw two picks. Like, that's pretty fortunate as well. Crushed a Florida team that had half of their very good players, including a quarterback who was the fourth pick in the NFL draft. Like, 
yeah, some things broke the Beavers' way. But I guess to your point, Carter, that's why you go out and you bring in a an A-level quarterback, or at least a quarterback with A potential in DJ Uyunglele. It feels like the stakes are kind of raised for Oregon State this year, coming off a 10-win season. So even getting a 9-win season out of the, this coming year, I still think is a massive success because you've, you've raised the bar. You've raised the stakes. Now you're trying to do it again as a program that's being hunted rather than a program that's often the hunter of, of the other programs around your conference. Yeah, and I mean, there's very little difference between winning 10 games and winning seven games in the Pac-12. You know, it's been a conference for, for so long that, you know, we we use the buzzword parody to describe it. But there is a, a lot of similarities among your top teams. I mean, I, I think you could very easily pick any of the top five teams to win the conference, and um, you're not going to receive a whole lot of pushback. Like Oregon State's always a team that's going to live on the margins. Uh, you know, this is a team that's that's probably not going to win, you know, a boatload of blowouts every year. Uh, even in its best years, you know, it's it's going to take some gritty wins. It's going to take those wins against Stanford, those come, comebacks against Oregon, because Oregon State is not a team, uh, as, as we all know, that that fields a bunch of four and five star talent every year. You know, you, you're relying on on out coaching and uh, you know. A, a, a myriad of other factors to to edge out some of these games, uh, and and when you live on the margin like that, um, you know you have a chance to to go seven and five or or ten and two, uh, if you know if if one thing breaks your way or the other, and I think we saw that last year with Oregon State getting a lot of breaks. Carter Baines joining us for a moment or two more. Um, got some big non-conference. You know, crossover games in the Pac-12 this year. Uh, week two, you know, uh, stands out for sure. You've got Oregon going to Texas Tech. You've got a few other big games on the card. Wisconsin traveling to Washington State on the Palouse. Luke Fickle coming to, to Pullman is, is awesome. You've got the Nebraska-Colorado game. Utah visiting Baylor. Arizona and Mississippi State's got some intrigue this year uh oklahoma state and arizona state you never know auburn and cal is in that week two slot i mean there's a there's a bevy of non-conference games you know before the pac-12 uh schedule gets going and each and every year carter we say hey can we fare well as a conference in those non-conference games because it really does feel like your conference perception um is for better or for worse it is a result of how well you do against competition out of the other power fives yeah, and I think the Pac-12 matches up really well against a lot of its non-conference opponents this year. And, and some of the bigger ones, you know, playing those SEC teams, a lot of those are played on Pac-12 turf. I mean, Utah welcomes Florida. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Auburn goes to Berkeley to play Cal. Yep. Um, you know, these these are big spots for the Pac-12. It's, it's not every year that you see multiple Pac-12 versus SEC showdowns. And to get them out here on the West Coast, uh, and, and in Salt Lake City, you know, that's that's big. Um, we've seen the Pac-12 go toe-to-toe against power conferences in recent years. You know, you can go back to Washington meeting Michigan State last year, obviously in a down year for the Spartans. But at the time, it looked like a great win for the Huskies. Um, and, you know, you can go down the line uh, with, with a handful of these games in recent years. Like this is, you know, if you're talking about the Pac-12 staying relevant in a post-USC-UCLA world, winning in the postseason and winning these non-conference games is genuinely the best way to gain respect because you're going head-to-head against teams from other conferences. And so I think 
if ever there was a year for the Pac-12 to, to have a strong showing in the first three weeks of the season, it's, it's right now. You know, when your conference reputation is on the line, when people outside of the conference footprint kind of scoff at you, um, you know, now's the time to, I, I think, silence some of the doubters and prove that, hey, just because the Trojans and Bruins aren't going to be here next year, that doesn't mean that the Pac-12 can't compete with the sports best. You feel like the Pac-12, Big 12 matchups this year will carry a special kind of juice given all the back and forth, and I'm circling that Oregon-Texas Tech game in particular. I think there's some truth to that, and, you know, that Oregon-Texas Tech game is, is one that I've had circled uh, as well. I've, I've promoted that as one of the best non-conference games of, of the entire season. I, I just love the matchup there between Tyler Shuck playing against his former team. You've got a Texas Tech team in the Big 12 that I don't think anybody is talking about. That might be the best. I, I, that might be the best pick to be your next TCU. Mm. You know, if, if you're going to have a team that's that's going to run through a season and, and win a bunch of games that nobody expects, I think Texas Tech has that chance here. Um, you know, to, to surprise some people. That game's in Lubbock. That's a sneakily very difficult place to play. Um, you know, I, I think it's a trap spot for Oregon, and if they can, if they can survive that one, um, you know, that's that's going to be an impressive mark on their resume come the end of the year. I think. Yeah, Shuck is a good player when he's healthy. Like that's people forget. Like he is a really good player when he when he stays healthy. He'll be all kinds of motivated in that one. Uh, last thing for you, Carter. You know that this Northwestern stuff, and it's got a bit of a, a local tie-in because Michael Schill, the former University of Oregon president, is at Northwestern and less than a year on the job, and he's kind of in the middle of this. But just generally, what what do you make of this Pat Fitzgerald firing and the process? It's it's kind of a fiasco over there, and I know it's getting a lot of run in Chicago land and Big Ten country and nationally. Yeah, came out of nowhere for sure. You know, it's it's just unfortunate, really, um, to see a figure of university in, in Pat Fitzgerald's case. You know, his his reputation come crashing down in the span of just a couple of days. And you know, I, I think Michael Schell put it best uh, in in his statement when he announced the firing. You know, it's the head coach's responsibility to know what's going on in his program and and whether or not it's fair to you know to put all of the blame on him. Um, you know, I, I think you can have that debate, but there is certainly an element to that where, you know, if, if you're not in touch with your program, what does that say about your leadership qualities? Um, and, you know, I'm not qualified to speak on Pat Fitzgerald's knowledge of the situation, um, but I do think Michael Schill was put in a tough situation. And, you know, obviously, uh, University of Oregon folks are familiar with him and, and whatnot, but um, it's it's just a tough situation all around. You know, I, I feel for the program. Um, it's it's not in a good place right now, and it loses its head coach. It loses a figure of its of its program, of its university, um, and and all around, obviously, just not not a good look for the program to to deal with this sort of scandal. So, um, it's it's going to be a long road ahead for Northwestern. Uh, I hope they get this higher right because um, obviously they're struggling right now. What's next for you on the horizon uh, with 247? Uh, what are you looking at? What will you be working on as more and more media days unfold this month? Yeah, that's it. Media days is, is going to rule the month of July. I'm excited for August to roll around when, when fall camp coverage uh, starts getting going. Man, we rely on our network of team sites. Uh, BeaverBlitz.com does a great job uh, for, for Oregon State Duck Territory, holding it down for Oregon and Eugene. 
um, you know, head to, head to those sites during fall camp. Uh, they'll be on the ground providing coverage, and we're going to promote all sorts of that stuff nationally as these storylines blossom in the lead-up to the season. Carter Baines, editor nationally, 247 Sports. It's great to get caught up with you, Carter. Thanks for being generous with your time and talking a little college football, indulging me in the middle of July. I appreciate it, man. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Judah. There he is, Carter Baines, 247 Sports. Never a bad time to unpack the uh, the bag that is college football. 503-417-7575 if you've got a college football take that you want to get off your chest as well. Uh, we've got Pac-12 Media Days coming up on Friday, July 21st. John Kazana will be there in Vegas broadcasting live, and we'll have all the head coaches, the quarterbacks, everybody that cycles through on a uh, regular basis on a Pac-12 Media Day will be right here on the radio show on the Bald Face Truth Radio Network. I've got more to unpack out of that conversation with Carter that we'll get to. Also more on the Damian Lillard front. A few new uh, articles put out today. A few new tweets out there as well um, from anonymous accounts, which you got to give them credence. It's July 12th. Who else are we going to give credence to? Someone reputable? I mean, dare we? Uh, Zach Lowe also had a good piece on ESPN+. Plus contextualizing how we got to this point with Damian Lillard and the Blazers. Want to get to all of that and more, plus Punch It Audio, the 5 at 5, taking you up to 6 o'clock here in the Portland area. You'll get Portland Timbers soccer at 6 as they start the second half of their game with Colorado Rapids that was abandoned uh, midway through from July 4th. Judah Newby in for John Canzano on the Bold Face Truth.